I want to begin this evening in the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus, chapter 16. And this has been our focus 52 this week, and I'm going to kind of take it in, in, a, um, in a little bit of a, of a different direction if I can tonight. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell them, you are the church. Amen. You are the church. Now, I'm going to begin by telling you a funny story. Um, I was probably about seven or eight years old. My dad was preaching revival in Ohio. And um, there was a lady that had came to revival, I guess, several services. And the, the nicest way I can put it is that her elevator didn't go to the top floor. Um, this lady was a few fries short of a Happy Meal, and um, everybody kind of knew it. And... So um, I, was, I was the new guy, you know, the new kid. My dad had been preaching there a week or two, whatever it was. And um, for some reason, I had slipped out of the sanctuary, and service was ending. And so I was coming back into the sanctuary when I did. She came out into the main lobby, and um, she caught me by surprise. She was a little aggressive. And she stopped right in front of me with this authoritative look and panic in her eyes. And she, she goes, this is not the church. And I was like, what in the world? She started beating on her chest. And she was like, this is the church. And um, I was like, I don't know what my dad did to make you mad, lady, but. But I want to tell you that I agree with the crazy lady. I agree with her. We are the church. We are the church of the living God. Amen. And in Exodus, the 16th chapter, we find that um, there's quite a bit of murmuring going on with the children of Israel. I know you can't believe that. Um, but there was murmuring going on with the children of Israel. And... Um, the scripture tells us in the 10th verse that it came to pass as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation. Somebody say congregation. congregation. He spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked toward the wilderness and behold the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. You may be seated tonight. I want to preach to you for a few moments if I can. We are the church. Now, this is not on my title tonight, but I do want to clarify a question. We are the church. What does that mean? What does it mean when I say that we are the church? It carries a lot more weight than I think we truly realize. Now, in this passage, the children of Israel, if you read your devotion this week, they were, they were grumbling on their journey through the wilderness. And they got so discouraged that they started thinking about the benefits of living in Egypt. It was not the will of God. Now, this is as simple as I can break this down for you. This is for real Gerber style right here. This is baby food. It is never the will of God for him to bring you out of a place for you to return to that place when you get discouraged. Never. But verse 10 said that Aaron spoke to the entire congregation. There's something about speaking to the whole body. It's the voice of God being used through the voice of a man speaking toward the people of God. The congregation was at that time obviously not what we know in the New Testament as the church. But please hear me when I tell you that was absolutely, positively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, historically and biblically, the children of God were the beginning of the church. It was the gathering of the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness, preparing them for the promised land. That was the beginning of the church. It was through the seed of these people that the Lord would visit his people again, 
during a feast that was established in the wilderness among the congregation that would become the feast of Pentecost where the law had been given at Mount Sinai. And at the feast of Pentecost when the day was fully come. And many of you, I hope most of you could quote it. When the day of Pentecost was fully come. They, who are they? The descendants of the people in the wilderness. The bloodline of Abraham. The children of God. It was the beginning of the church. And in the Old Testament, they were called the congregation of God. They were the people of God. It was a holy convocation. As soon as Aaron lifted his voice and began to address the congregation, he was calling them back to an understanding that God did not visit you in Egypt to bring you into the wilderness for you to return back to Egypt. But God called you as a congregation out of Egypt toward the promised land. And every day of your life, even when you're compassing a mountain that you've been there too long, every day puts you one day closer to possessing the promised land. I want to help somebody in this house tonight and tell you, you may have some hard days where you feel like throwing in the towel and turning around and going back to where he brought you out of. But don't you ever forget, you are one day closer to the promised land. And so, as the Lord rested upon the children of Israel, the word that he gave them was enough to carry them through what we see historically as 400 years of silence. It was a dark time where biblically in the canon of scripture there is no communication from God to earth. The mouth of God, when Malachi closed his book and said, remember what Moses told you to do. Remember to keep the statutes and the judgments. He, and, and Malachi puts his pen down, rolls up the scroll, puts it away, and God shuts his mouth. Now we've got 400 years, and when we finally come on to the scene, we see Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, in the temple. He is offering incense. His lot was to burn incense. And we see that John the Baptist's father was doing the same thing that they were commanded to do. Before Malachi quit talking, there's something to be said about faithful people who don't have to be inspired all the time to keep doing the right thing. Can you imagine being 400 years removed from the first generation that heard the laws of God and still being faithful to something that you never heard firsthand, but it was powerful enough that you would yoke up with it and say if it was good enough for them. Can I get old fashioned on you right here for just a minute? I came up singing a song in Sunday school and I still like it. Give me that old time religion. It was good enough for Paul and Silas. And it's good enough for me. And so out of this, uh, out of this encounter with heaven and earth. An angel of the Lord comes to uh, Zechariah standing there at the right side of the altar where he's burning incense. And he says to him, your prayer have been heard. Fear not, your prayer have been heard. The first thing I find it interesting out of the mouth of God through an angel after 400 years is don't be afraid. Fear not. Imagine that. The Lord said, don't be afraid. Why would he be afraid? Because nobody had seen an angel as far as we know in the canon of scripture for 400 years. Like, you're making history, baby. This is a generation that had heard about angels but never entertained them. Woo! I'm already preaching and I'm not even where I'm going yet. I wonder what's really going to happen when our generation starts seeing what we've heard about all our lives. Anybody going to help me tonight? I'm telling you, I still believe in the supernatural. 
I, still, I know I said it Sunday, but I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to drill it every week. I still believe it's the will of God for the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dead to be raised, the lame to walk, the dumb to talk. I still believe it's the will of God for us to have supernatural signs confirm the word. So out of this meeting is prophesied the forerunner of the Messiah, John Baptist, which then uh, would be confirmed through Elizabeth to her cousin Mary that blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. What's in you is conceived of the Holy Ghost, said the angel. And this uh, John Baptist, the Bible said that when Mary walked into the room, the babe uh, in Elizabeth's womb, which was John Baptist, leapt in his mother's womb. And was filled with the Holy Ghost. And that's easy to understand when you know who Jesus is. Because Mary was full of the Holy Ghost. That which was conceived in her was of the Holy Ghost. And I, I wish I had time to fully preach this to you tonight. But that's why I believe that Mary is one that is specifically mentioned in the book of Acts, the second chapter. As she is offspring of the children of the wilderness, the children of God. Mary was specifically mentioned in the upper room that she was there among the 120 because she's the only one in the room that knows what it feels like to have him live on the inside of her for nine months. And whenever the Holy Ghost came and sat on each and every one of them and cloven tongues like as a fire appeared unto them and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance, I believe that Peter and the eleven may have glanced over at old Mother Mary and she gave him the head nod and said, this is that. I know what this is about. I felt him before. He's lived in me before. That which was conceived in me was of the Holy Ghost and I know it's real. We've got to get to the place where we can testify to people. This thing is real. I'm telling you, there is no power like the power of the Holy Ghost. If I don't hurry, I'm never going to get there. So when Jesus showed up, we're going to fast forward when Jesus showed up on the fallen world scene, if I could say it like that. Jesus showed up, and he left absolutely no doubt throughout his ministry and his ascension as to his ownership of the earth. As a matter of fact, he made statements like you find in Matthew 28 and 18. All power in heaven and in earth. How can you say that? All power in heaven and in earth is mine. It belongs to me. In Matthew, the 14th chapter, we find him demonstrating authority over the laws of nature because he walks on water. No man had walked on water. In Mark, the fourth chapter, we find that he controlled the forces of nature, literally altering the weather patterns. As he opens up his mouth and makes statements like, peace be still. It causes men to open their mouths and make statements like, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. There was no question who was in authority when Jesus walked the earth. He literally trumps the laws of physics. By multiplying food, by turning water into wine, by translating his physical body from one place to another, by destroying trees simply by speaking the word to them and they never bore fruit again. He demonstrated his power over the animal kingdom when by speaking a word he used the mouth of a fish to present the coin that would pay the bill that was due unto Caesar. There was no question who he was and I feel him here right now. He displayed power over death by speaking two words to his friend Lazarus. Come forth. And when he spoke, even death had to obey him because he had the power of life and death. 
man so daring, so bold, so staggering in its ramifications that no one could guess what it was, including Satan's kingdom, even the angels that had fallen with Satan did not understand what had transpired in its fullness when God became an Adam. God became an Adam. A-D-A-M. He was known as the second Adam who came to fix and restore what the first Adam had lost. And by God coming as an Adam, or the biblical translation, basically the man, Adam, the man, God became Adam. He became a man, and thereby he qualified himself to redeem humankind and to win back what was lost in the garden. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Ownership of the earth was not the issue, nor was his personal authority as a God-man. He had never lost his authority. The issue was authority for the human race. And whether or not, stay very closely with me in this foundational moment, the question was whether or not mankind and the human race would regain their governmental power to have dominion and authority in the earth. You've heard me preach time after time that the first thing Adam heard as a created man in the garden was to be blessed, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion. The will of God was dominion, but man had lost his dominion. But when the God-man, Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, paid for our penalty, he literally restored fellowship with God. In that process, he not only restored fellowship, but he won back the authority my Lord, that Adam had lost the day that they had a conversation with a being that had no authority in that garden. They lost authority, but the Lord came back to the earth as a man and redeemed man. And he said, I'm going to give you that authority back and you will govern in the earth. I'm going to give you my opinion. Some people are real negative about the future of the church. I feel pretty good about it. I feel like the church is all right. I feel like the church is going to do just fine. I've read enough book to know that even if men drop the ball, that the church of the living God cannot be prevailed against. When God filled mankind with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the book of Acts, the second chapter, I believe that now that humankind has that authority and power and dominion in the earth. God in the flesh gave us such power statements that were indicative of this when he said to them, these works that I do shall you do and greater works than these. And I believe that now it is safe in the hands of a human race that will never lose it again. How can you be so sure? Pastor, because I believe that from the day of Pentecost until now, there has always been a remnant of people that have been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost in the earth. And wherever the Holy Ghost is, there is power. Go tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power, power, power. Somebody shout power. It's dunamis power. It's dynamite power. It's dominion power. And wherever people are filled with the Holy Ghost, there is power in the earth there is now a race of humans in the earth that are filled with God's life his breath 
his spirit, his nature, and they are capable of relating to him. They are capable of connecting with him as their father again realizing that as many as received him, Bishop, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We don't relate to him. Forgive me if I sound a little cold tonight, but I'm going to tell you how the King James says it. We don't relate to him as bastard children. We don't relate to him as some distant child that just wandered in as an orphan. Oh, no, my friend. We have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cried, Daddy, Daddy, Abba, Father. I'm telling you, we have a Father that we can relate to. So God gave us power to relate to Him as our Father through His Spirit within us. And to manage, literally, this will blow your mind. I want to I change somebody's thoughts about who you are tonight. That God gave us the authority to manage the earth. Think about it. To take dominion over this place that we call home. The problem is that I don't think humanity truly realized what God had done in them. Because there's something you need to know tonight, and I know that most of you do know this. But the echo of this message will probably go around the world. And there's something that needs to be established in this room that was established in the word of God. When you are born again, you take on a new nature. You are not who you were before you take on the nature of God. We are no longer just simply human. Adamites, if you would. Adam, the man, the human race. But we are a new race of supernatural people that have been filled with the Holy Ghost and with fire. According to Acts the 11th chapter and the 26th verse it said, And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. We now have been given a name as Christians. And that is not a title that we should walk around with our little Jesus fish button on. Our little Jesus tie clip because we like him. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, if we are Christians, then we are little Christ in the earth. We are the children of God. We are the sons and the daughters of God. And we don't walk around as people that just believe he was a good prophet or believe that he was a solid teaching rabbi we believe that he was God manifest in the flesh and he came and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth we believe that God was manifest in the flesh we believe that he was seen of angels Anybody here still believe that? We believe that he was preached unto the Gentiles, and we believe that he was believed on in the world. We believe that he was received up into glory. We also believe that Christ is that spirit that lives within us. Because the scripture tells us very plainly that it is Christ in you. <laughs> That is the hope of glory. But if any man have not received him. Somebody help me now. If you have not received him, then you are none of his. In other words, if you have not been filled with the Holy Ghost, Christian is only a title for you. It is not the office in which you live. As an ambassador of heaven in the earth that has the ability to align yourself with the thoughts of God in the heavens and bring them to the earth and establish his kingdom everywhere that you go. It was apparently frustrating somewhat to the Apostle Paul who I believe was fully converted because in his first letter to the Corinthians in the third chapter, and the third verse, he said to them, he said, you're, 
You're yet carnal. You are yet carnal. And you walk as men. In other words, like you're not walking in the fullness of who you've been called to be. You're walking in the likeness of the first Adam. And not the second Adam. You are not walking in the likeness of God. You are not walking in the likeness. He said you're still carnal. You're still relying on your flesh. But you're living below your means. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. But we are not just merely human anymore. And please don't run off and take this and say that I'm trying to get some weird doctrine started around here. I'm walking in the principles and precepts of the word to let you know that something happens when you are filled with the spirit of the most high God. You are anointed in a different way. And now you represent his kingdom in the earth. Somebody shout, I represent God. I did quite a bit of research trying to figure out how all this came to pass. I didn't even believe it when I read it. It was so goofy. I didn't, I didn't know whether or not to believe it. So I looked and, and, and found a picture. I actually uh, saved the picture onto my phone. But apparently on a wall near the main entrance of the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, is a portrait with the following description. James Butler Bonham. Now I'm, I'm reading to you what's on the sign. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, and then deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that, oh Lord, that people may know the appearance of the man who died for freedom. It certainly was not an accurate likeness of Bonham. No one knows what Bonham looked like. He died before the advent of photography. And as far as anyone has ever been able to attain the knowledge, he never had a portrait painted of himself. The painting which hangs in the Capitol at Austin is said to actually be the portrait of his nephew who bore his resemblance. And I want to tell you that there is no literal picture of Jesus Christ either. But like Bonham, we can see a reflection of who he is. I just about fell down when I read that. They said we don't know what he looked like. But we put the picture here so that people can know the appearance of a man who died for freedom. When the world looks at you, let them know you are a picture of a man that... That died for your freedom. Is that just figurative, Pastor, or is it literal? Well, I'm going to mess with you just a little bit right here. Something I've preached for many years. But if you don't believe that Jesus has a way of wearing off on you when you spend time with him, let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that Jesus was the most famous man in Judea? Anybody here believe that? You think anybody in Judea had no clue who he was? Especially, especially the Roman guards that walked in with Judas into the Garden of Gethsemane. But Judas said, I'll walk up to the one that's him and kiss him and let you know that it's him. Surely they know who he is. But Judas said, I, 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 I want to be clear about this. Because there's going to be some men that are standing around him that have been with him so much that it's hard to tell the difference in who they are. Well, Pastor, I'm going to need a little more Bible than that. Okay. As Peter is standing there warming his hands by the fire, she said, you're one of his because you were with me. He said, no, I'm not. Three times he denies. And finally the woman came up and said, son, your speech betrays you. I know you've been with him. There's something about it when you've been with him. You don't look like you used to look. And you don't talk like you used to talk. There's something about you. You resemble the face of somebody that died for your freedom. 
Y'all quit. I'm sweating. Let me make this very clear to you. It was the plan of Jesus for the church to make him visible in the earth. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? The big question now pivots around whether or not we will take on our role of revealing him, partnering with him, being his children, ambassadors, representatives, however you want to say it, in the earth. Will we partner with God as men and women who walk in dominion? It's fixing to get tight. Or will we just believe that we were born again so we can go to heaven? Well, that's good fluff preaching, Pastor, but you need something to stand on. Well, I'll I'll gladly stand on it, Nicodemus. Because he didn't just say, you can't enter the kingdom. He said, if you're not born again of water and spirit, you can't even see the kingdom. That means there's more about this kingdom than just entering into the kingdom of heaven. You can see it, Nicodemus. When you're born again, you can see it before you enter it. Oh, my God. The church is mentioned. I'm almost through with my introduction, so stay with me. The church is mentioned for the first time in Matthew 16 and 18. Most of you could quote pretty close to this verbatim in your King James Bible. Matthew 16 and 18, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Verse 19, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever I can't even read this without getting chills. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now stay very close to me. I'm going to teach you some things I've taught through the years, but I believe in it. When Jesus used the word church in the Greek ecclesia, The disciples were not hindered in that conversation at all by our contemporary ideas to what it meant. Their paradigm of an ecclesia differed greatly from what it has become today. I can make you a promise that when the Lord looked at them and said, Upon this rock I'll build my ecclesia. Not one of them pictured ripped jeans, leather jacket, v-neck t-shirts, coffee in the sanctuary, cereal in the pew, donuts in the lobby. Not one of them envisioned a first impression team. Not one of them envisioned a suit and a tie. Not one of them envisioned us coming together in a large conference of people and saying, Hey, Doc, how you doing? Been been a long time since I've seen you. As we stand around and lie when people say, How you doing? And we say, Man, it's incredible. All is well. And we've been going through hell at home. But we don't want to tell the truth. Come on, somebody. I make you a promise that when he said, Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Not one person in that group thought of Alan Heath, Peavy, Mackey, or any other soundboard. Not one of them thought of Sure, Sennheiser, or any other kind of microphone. Not one of them thought about a Roland, a Korg, drums, Mapex, DW, you start name, whatever. It never crossed the mind of the disciples. Not one of them thought about how you do DMX controlling with LED lighting to get the stage lighting just right so that the camera looks good and be sure that it's a JVC or a Sony or whichever one, a Canon perhaps because you don't want the picture color gradient to be different if you get two different brands of cameras. Come on, 
anybody? And never ever thought about church building payments. Not one time did they ever think about sitting down with a with a mortgage officer and saying, "Yeah, we we, we need to borrow about 1.3 million." That was not what crossed their minds. I'm going to tell you something, church, that God has been wrecking me for months. I went back and found this again the other day and screenshotted it. I don't know how else to really break this down, but it's it's messed me up. I I sent this out, Brother Jonathan Chris, my friend that pastors in Ala, Louisiana. Some time ago, it's been several months ago, the time date was uh, 5-7-20, but I've kept this in my phone. He made this statement. He said, when money... Buildings and image become the church's only asset. Convictions very easily become a liability. Woo! That might be the best preaching I've done all night. Money. Buildings. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Not one of them thought about getting stressed out and getting up and pacing the floor all night long saying, God, how's this church going to make this payment? Never. It's become essential for us to gather together. But the gathering of people under a building does not make us the ecclesia. For those who tend to lean toward It's literal meaning, oh God, I want to preach so bad right now. For those who tend to lean toward the literal interpretation of the ecclesia, it would be not just a group of people, but a group of called out people. You can look it up for yourself. A people that have been called out. Well, you guys just preach holiness because you like keeping your thumb on people. I preach holiness because I don't want to be a part of a gathering. I want to be the ecclesia. There's something about people that have the power to govern in the earth. When you've been called out, listen, you cannot govern something that you're a part of. That's why you may be in the world, but you're not of the world. I'm going to give you a little history right here. To the Greeks in Christ's day, which ecclesia is a Greek word, an ecclesia was an assembly of people that were called out, quote unquote, of the populace, listen to pastor very closely, to govern the affairs of a city or a nation. In essence, to the Greek idea and ecclesia would be what you and I would call like a council, a parliament, or a congress. It was a group of ruling and governing people. Not people that lay down every time the winds blow against them and say it's not popular to live like you live. What about the Romans? They were the world power. Well, good. I'm glad you asked about them, too. Because if you were to ask a Roman in the days of the Messiah, what an ecclesia meant to them. It was a group of people sent into a conquered region to rule it. But listen to me. But also to alter the culture until it became like Rome realizing this was the ideal way to control their empire. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You conquer it, and then you send ecclesia, a group of called out people that were different than what you conquered, and they changed the government, the social structure, the language, the educational system, the schools, until the people talked, thought, acted like, and considered themselves to be Romans. 
find it in history. How in the world do you think we got these massive groups of people gathering together, casting lots for guys in helmets and pads, throwing pigskin around? Chasing after a bunch of adulterers and fornicators and whoremongers and money thieves and drug addicts and then letting our kids hang it on their wall and say, let them be your hero. That's when they know a people have been conquered. When they start thinking like the Romans, talking like the Romans, acting like the Greeks. Come on, somebody. I preached about it at National Youth Convention in 2019. And please forgive me if I sound like I'm being a little too uh, out here. But we all know circumcision had to do with removing the foreskin of the Jewish man. And when they wanted to become a part of the Hellenistic culture. And they tried to get in and act like the Greeks. Everybody knew there was a difference in them because they did it in the nude. They would act before thousands of people in large crowds in the nude. But the people that had been called out didn't fit in like everybody else. And everybody knew they were different. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying to you, once you've been called out, you can try to act like them, but you will never be them. You can try. I've said it, Bishop, so many times, but apostolics make terrible drunks. They do. You watch, you, 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 you watch them leave. You watch people leave God. They start dressing worldly and they look so funny because they don't really know how to do it. They fit out. Like they, they stand out. They don't fit in. You, you, you watch them. They don't, even know how to, they don't even know how to put their makeup on right. Walk around, got a big old orange line. Looks like an equator running around the bottom of their chin. I hope my girls never know how to put it on. I don't care what they call it either. Call it toner, call it bronzer, call it whatever you want to call it. I don't want my girls to know how to put it on. forget Jesus the Messiah God manifest in the flesh lived in a time of Roman rule where he understood exactly what he was saying and he pulled no punches and made no mistakes when he said upon this rock I'll build my own ecclesia the Romans are trying to turn you Jews into Romans but what I'm going to put inside of you is enough to take this Roman culture and stand it on its head I'll establish my own ecclesia What was he saying? Everybody doing okay? He was saying without question, I will establish a group of people that will legislate for me. Extending my kingdom rule in the earth. You will not be a people that lay down to every whim and wave of false doctrine. When he spoke of the gates of hell, these gates are not physical gates, but rather governmental plans or the decisions of hell. Can I say to you tonight that when Jesus said upon this rock, I'll build my governing people and the plans that hell has for governing against them will not prevail because the power that's in them is greater than the power that's in the gates. Biblical gates were often where judges sat to rule or governing councils made decisions. Therefore, they often symbolized government. You can find it all throughout the scripture. As a matter of fact, in Ruth, the fourth chapter, there is a reference to the gate actually being translated as court. It was a place of court where decisions were made. And this first decree that Jesus made announcing the church. Jesus was establishing the fact before the day of Pentecost was fully come that he would raise up a kingdom government on the earth that hell's government would not prevail over. All right. 
He followed this declaration. And stay with me. Please don't let me lose you. I'm just about done. But I got to talk to you about what's on the heart of God. Following this, he said to them, I'll give you keys to the kingdom. These keys symbolize authority. What good is power in a gate if you don't have the authority to unlock it? Keys lock and unlock. I feel the Holy Ghost so strong. It's the keys that unlock the gate in order to open it or to close it. And Christ was declaring to his church that they would have the keys and the authority to lock the gates of the government of hell and open the gates of the government of heaven. You have the ability with the keys of authority in the earth that when hell tries to open its gates, you have authority to say that cannot prevail here. And I lock that door and the other hand to reach in and unlock the will of God from heaven and release that in the earth because the gates of hell will not prevail against the holder of the key. Somebody say prayer. I can't preach this without preaching on prayer. Because the way these keys are established in the hands of children of God. I know you're tired. It's only 8.07, so don't leave me. It's accomplished through declarations, through decrees that are made for God. Hear me very closely. Made for God, not petitions to God. Was that clear? These are declarations that are made for God, not petitions to God. Oh, when we need him, we request and petition. But when dealing with the powers of darkness, we have the ability to decree in the earth what the will of God is in heaven. Oh. That's why our prayer cannot be wrapped up in the thoughts and the ideas. God, would you please come down here and bind this up? I'm just going to mess with you. Lord, rebuke this devil. Lord, heal this sick man. Do you find that in the Bible? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. Lord Jesus, Jesus, please, Lord Jesus, 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 right now, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He said, don't petition, declare it. Seven sons of the priest come walking into a demon-possessed man trying to invoke authority in a name that they don't have the power to invoke authority with. And the devil spoke out of that man and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know. Who are you? Who, who do you think you are walking up in here trying to tell me what I'm going to do when you don't even know him? But Jesus said, when you've been filled with my spirit... When you walk in, those demons don't see you and who you think they are. When you walk in in the authority of the Holy Ghost, those devils look at you and say, don't torment us before our time. You just tell us where to go. Somebody shout prayer. In Matthew 6 and 10. Are you all still with me? If I've been preaching too long, I'll quit and do part 8 next week. Matthew, the 6th chapter and the 10th verse. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Somebody pray this with me. Thy kingdom come. Folks, that's not something we pray over a necklace. Matthew 6 and 10, the language, the verbs come and be are in the imperative Greek tense, meaning a command. Christ was literally saying in the imperative Greek language, command my kingdom rule and will to come forth in the earth. 
When you I feel the Holy Ghost. Can we lift our hands right now? When you walk through your house and you anoint the doors and the windows, you are not walking through as a homeowner that's paying a mortgage or somebody that's renting that house from uh, a landlord. You are walking through as an ambassador of heaven and you command and decree in the name of the Lord Jesus in this house. There is no power of darkness that will invade this territory. I have put the word of God at the doors and the windows of this house. And I declare your kingdom rule in this house. I declare your... It's hard to declare kingdom rule in your house when you let the rules of the enemy play in your house and visions of the enemy's kingdom roll in your house and songs of the enemy's songs roll in your house the only songs I want in my house are the songs of Zion and the only ideas I want in my house are the ideas of the kingdom of God and I decree it in my home and I decree it in my family I started. I'm almost done. I've preached for many years, and I believe it's true. The keys of the kingdom were delivered on the book in the book of Acts, the second chapter, and Peter delivered. I believe the Lord gave him keys. But I want to tell you something about these keys. Don't underestimate the power of the key. They're not just salvific in language. The keys were not just about salvation. In other words, in being converted, the moment of salvation, the new birth. I believe those are the keys that unlock the door. I do believe that. Death, burial, resurrection, I believe that. But they are not just salvific in nature. Because Jesus makes it very clear, I give you keys and they're for binding and loosing. Right? You're with me in the scripture. The keys were not just for salvation. He said, and whatsoever you bind. Now these, the, the, these, Jesus, I, I, I want to get this to you. The physical meaning of these two words, to bind and to loose. I've preached this through the years, but I, there's people here that need to hear what I'm saying to you tonight. And please don't miss this. Matter of fact, I would recommend some of you go back and take notes of this. Because this will change the way that you pray. The physical meaning of these two words in time became more about tying and untying. When we think of binding and loosing, to tie it up or to untie it. But the roots of the etymology of these words in the original language were not about tying and untying. They are judicial terms that were born in a courtroom. Something that is legally binding. The authority, hear me tonight, to dissolve something or loose something that is legally binding, and I feel a boldness coming on me right now. That every curse the enemy has legally bound to you because of who your daddy was or who your family was. You have authority with the keys of the kingdom to say whatever you have bound to me, I loose it in the name of Jesus, and I command that to come off of my life. I'm saying to you, I don't care how you were born. I'm saying to you, I don't care what your mama was. I don't care what your daddy was. I don't care. It, it does not matter to God what they were, whatever. They tried to bind on you as a legally binding document. I want to tell you right now, in this house, by the power of the Holy Ghost, generational curses are broken. My father was an alcoholic. It's legally bound to me to be an alcoholic. In the name of Jesus, I lose you from that. Shut up, Okata 
keys are in the hands of the church. Now you listen to what I'm telling you. God's not into politics, but he is into government. Read Isaiah 9 and 6 if you don't believe me. The government's on his shoulders. How do we release the keys? We release the keys by what we say and what we do. Man, I wish y'all could feel as much Holy Ghost as I feel right now. I, I, I feel drunk in my legs up here right now. I feel the Holy Ghost trying to break through. I know it's Wednesday night and you're probably tired of hearing my jaws flap in the wind. But I feel the Holy Ghost trying to set somebody free on Wednesday night. We do not fight in the natural. We fight in the spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But somebody shout it. They are. They are. Come on, shout it. They are. How? Through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. Our words are spiritual. I preached several years ago, maybe two years ago, something like that, about frustrating angels. That the power of our words. When we tell God he can, but angels long to look into our prayer meetings. And then we walk out of the prayer meeting and we say, the, the, the complete opposite, the antithesis of what we said to God. Lord, I believe you can save my lost son. And then we get in the car with our spouse and say, I bet that idiot's never coming back. You bind the hands of God because your words are spiritual. I don't know if they'll ever quit that foolishness. I don't know if they'll ever come back to God. I, they're going to act stupid the rest of their life. They ain't never going to come back to God. You're loosening something on them that's going to bind to them. Proverbs 18 and 20. 18 and 20 of Proverbs. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the... I know I've heard from God today. A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth. And with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. Verse 21, watch this now. This scripture gets quoted backwards a lot. It doesn't say that the power of life and death are in the tongue. It says death and life. The power's not in life and death. The power's in the tongue. The scripture does not say that the power of life and death are in the tongue. It says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. For me to confess something literally means for me, according to the scripture, homogeneo, it means for me to say the same thing. So when I confess with my mouth, you ain't hearing me. God have mercy. When I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, I am saying, God, whatever you have said, I agree. Somebody shout, Amen. You know what you just did? You just agreed. With God. It is not a slang word that we use because somebody's preaching good. It's because we are literally lining ourselves up with what God said. And we say, I agree and I decree with what you're saying over me, over my family, and over this church. When we say we are in revival and someone says, Amen, they're saying, I line myself up with God's idea. Closing, I'm closing, I'm closing. Ecclesiastes, the eighth chapter and the fourth verse, one of my favorite scriptures. Where the word of a king is, there is power. That means when I say what the king is saying, there is power. 
because I am decreeing what God said. Hey, can I encourage somebody in here tonight? All you little kids that your parents tell you not say this, just hold your ears. Somebody needs to tell the devil to shut his face. Somebody just needs to tell the devil, shut your mouth. Somebody needs to tell the devil, you need to shut up and get out of my life. I'm not saying anymore what you've been saying over me. I'm about to start speaking what God's been saying over me. Somebody tell me how God created with words. God said. Isaiah 55 and 11. I'm hurrying. Isaiah 55 and 11. Y'all are doing a great job keeping up in the back. Thank you so much. Isaiah 55 and 11. So shall my word be. Oh, mother, when I read this, I don't know why, but when I read this, I see your little old frame walking through here slinging both arms praying. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. I've heard my mother and daddy pray this more times than I know. Your word shall not return void. It will not. It will not return void, but it shall. Somebody say it shall. Come on, somebody say it shall. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Somebody say it shall. Somebody say it shall. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto hey, that I send it. I hurry. But it shall accomplish. Somebody say accomplish. It's the same word in Hebrew. Accomplish is the same word in Hebrew as create, assault. I love it. It shall not return me void, but it shall create. If you can't feel the Holy Ghost in that, Brother Snow, if that don't light your fire, your wood's wet. It shall create. There's no way I'm coming out of this until he speaks. Pastor, there's no exit out of here. I'm in over my head. You hear me tonight? There's no way for me to get out of this, Austin, until he speaks. And when he speaks, there's a door where there wasn't a door. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He has creative power when he speaks. And he said, my word's not going to return to me void, but it's creating. And when I send it to somewhere because somebody called for it, it's going to create a way. When you're looking at your bank account and you said it don't make sense, but I paid my tithes and I've been faithful to God, you just watch him create. You watch him step in. I'm telling you right now, his word's a creator. Stand, 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 stand. Stand with me tonight, Stan. I, I, I got to quit. Oh, God. I'm telling you, I, I, I almost just feel drunk in the Holy Ghost. You got to have a witness in your spirit that says, yes, I believe what God is saying. And now I'm going to start saying what God is saying. I want you to listen very closely to me tonight. If I were the devil, and I'm not going to give you Paul Harvey's speech. If I were the devil, and I wanted to stop evangelism, stop the spread of biblical morality or the rule of God in the earth, I can't think of a better way that I would do it other than deceiving the ecclesia. It was worth the ticket tonight to hear that right there. You hear what I'm telling you? I just gave you his secret. The end result of the ecclesia of the church of the living God, tell your neighbor tonight, you are the church, would be to leave God without government in the earth. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And then the enemy would know that even though I've lost my authority in the earth because I've deceived God's government, which he can't because the gates of hell won't prevail, but if he could... 
even though he had still already lost his authority, he could still rule. But we need to let the devil know in this room tonight, not only can you not rule, you do not rule, and you have no authority here, and you have no authority in my life because I am not deceived, and I know who I am in God. We read the scripture in Acts, the 17th chapter, about men that turned their world upside down. What you'll basically read in the context of that, it simply means that they challenged the status quo everywhere they went. Everywhere they went, Mars Hill, I'll give you an example, Mars Hill, tomb to the unknown God, standing on Mars Hill at Athens. He said, I perceive you're too superstitious. He said, but let me preach to you about a real God. Do you you understand what just happened? He said, I'm replacing your idea. Because I represent the ecclesia of God. Superstitious to the unknown God. But him declare I unto you. You know why some of the things that Bishop and I preach in this church feel so contrary to us? Because they are replacing ideas that did not come from God. The word of God replaces the words of darkness. That's why when darkness comes into your home at night and temptation comes to your home, and listen, listen, I, I'm going to help somebody right here in the Holy Ghost. I feel it so strong in here right now. We could just about have a Holy Ghost explosion on Wednesday night. When temptation comes to you and the enemy says you're going to fall, all you got to do is pick up that book and say, it is written. I wish somebody would agree with God right now. I wish somebody would agree with God right now. We are the church. Come on, this altar's open right now if you want to come. We are the church and we agree with God. And we're saying what God is saying. You know what frustrates the devil even more? It frustrates the devil even more when you get in the Holy Ghost and you start praying in other tongues because... He don't even know what you're saying. It frustrates him. The Spirit itself maketh intercession. And you become an ambassador and begin to speak what God is speaking in the earth. I dare you tonight, if you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, to begin to pray in the Spirit. 